you're all right with it, let's go ahead and get started a little uh, a little early, just a couple of minutes, not much. Um, appreciate the wonderful lesson Brother Stan uh, did for us today. Um, really, really did a, a good job with that and something that challenges, challenged me, hopefully challenged all of us to go into the new year trying to do better for our Lord. So I really, really appreciate the challenge we were given from the Word of God today to be as pro productive. I struggle with that. I'm from Texas, Stan. So I guess the Indiana folks and the Texas folks struggle as productive as possible for God. Take out your Bibles, please, and go over to Matthew chapter 8. When you go in your New Testament, please, to Matthew chapter 8. This will be lesson 2 in the workbook. Chad, I think we are, are we out of books? Okay. Because I knew some were, uh, uh, some were asking me for some extras earlier. It's in the second half of the regular book. So okay. It is the same book. Yeah, maybe that's where the confusion is. We're using the same workbook. It's just the second half of that same workbook. Okay? So um, if you do need uh, a workbook or a sheet for today, we do have some extras. Uh, raise your hand if you do need one. Maybe Chad can take care of that. Chad, I think we just need a, or Gary's going too. Uh, we may need, just need a couple, Brother Gary. Uh, so we're going to be in the second half of that same workbook we were using. The first half of that workbook was about the last week of Christ. The second half is the miracles of Jesus. We're continuing that series. We're in the second lesson of the miracles of Jesus series. This past Sunday, uh, or this past Wednesday, I'm sorry, we begin with this series by studying the first public manifestation, the first public manifestation of the power of Jesus. And that was when Jesus turned water into wine. He did that at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now today, we are going to consider not just one miracle of Jesus, but we're going to consider what I like to refer to as an explosion of miracles. This is an explosion of miracles. In Matthew chapter 8 through 9, we find at least 11 specific miracles recorded in those two chapters. In two chapters, Matthew gives us an explosion of miracles. Every one of these miracles is very, very important to understanding who Jesus is. These miracles are unique, they are powerful. They demonstrate further the magnificent power Jesus possessed over all things while he was on this earth. Now, as far as the outline for the class goes, this is what we want to do today. I want to have the opportunity to quickly summarize each of these miracles that are listed in Matthew 8 through 9. I want to quickly summarize, summarize what happens in each miracle, okay? I want us to look at the similarities and the differences between the miracles. And then I also want us to consider how the people who saw these miracles and experienced these miracles responded to them. So we're going to summarize the miracles. We're going to look at the similarities, the differences, and we're going to look at how people responded to them. So that's what we're going to look at. Matthew 8 and 9 will be the primary text today an explosion of miracles. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll jump into it. 
Almighty God, thank you so much, Father, for blessing us, Father, to be together today, uh, to worship you, to glorify your, your name, to exalt you as the awesome creator as you are, that you are. Uh, Father, we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful that we have your word preserved for us, that we can open it and read it and study it and understand it and be strengthened and equipped by it. I pray, Father, that you will bless our, our study this morning. I pray for our children here, our young people, the Bible class teachers. I pray for our, our shepherds that you continue to be with them, give them wisdom and comfort them and hold their hands as they lead this flock in this place. I pray for our deacons who do such a wonderful job and just every member of this congregation who loves you, uh, who is striving to give you their best, even during a rough time uh, in our country and in our world as a whole. Bless our efforts today, God. We pray for the sick and those who are grieving and hurting at this time. In Jesus' name, we offer this prayer. Amen. Okay, as I mentioned already, I just want to say it again so, so you can really catch this. There are at least 11 miracles performed by Jesus in these two chapters, Matthew 8 through 9. All of these miracles are important to confirming his identity, to confirming him to be the Son of God and the Messiah. They provide us with supernatural evidence to back up his supernatural claims. I think it is important that we understand that if somebody's going to make supernatural claims, extraordinary claims, you better have extraordinary evidence to back up that claim. Anybody can claim to be the Son of God. In fact, hundreds, maybe thousands of people have claimed to be the Son of God. Anybody can claim to be the Son of God. Anybody can claim to be the Messiah. Anybody can claim to have been sent directly by God. Anybody can do that. I can do that. You can do that. The question, though, is, is where's the proof? Where's the proof to back up the claim? Well, that's why Jesus did the miracles. Now, Matthew, in his account, we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew primarily today. Does anybody remember from your past studies who Matthew was originally targeting with his Gospel? The Jews. He was targeting a Jewish audience. You see, each one of the Gospel writers when they originally wrote their accounts, they were targeting very specific audiences. And we can, we can tell this by looking at how they wrote their accounts. When you look at Mark's account, it's, it's pretty clear that he's writing to a Gentile audience, probably more of a Roman audience. He focuses more on miracles than any of the, of the other Gospels. Luke, the only Gentile author of the New Testament. He's the only Gentile author of the New Testament. He clearly is writing to a Gentile audience. Uh, John is more universal, more for all audiences. He's the last of the Gospels to be written. And Matthew is targeting Jews. And we know this for a couple of reasons. First, we know this because of his use of prophecy. Have you noticed that in your reading of the Gospel of Matthew? How Matthew focuses more on fulfilled prophecy than any of the other Gospels. He focuses on that because that's the main thing that would have convicted the Jews. The Gentiles could have cared less about prophecy. They were not familiar with the Old Testament. They were not familiar with the writings of Isaiah and 
Hosea and Micah, they could care less about fulfilled prophecy in the first century. That's why Mark doesn't deal with that as much. He wants to give them action. Matthew knows, though, that the Jews were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. They were anticipating the Messiah. They knew that the Old Testament told them in advance what to expect from the Messiah. And that's why over and over again he says, Jesus did this to fulfill the words of a prophet. Matthew understood that the prophecies were important. Fulfilled prophecy was important to convince a Jewish audience of the identity of Jesus. So Matthew uses prophecy a lot, but not only does he try to convince his targeted original audience through prophecy, he also does it through miracles. And, and the reason why he brings up miracles also is because in the prophets, so they're tied together, in the Old Testament prophets, the miracles of the Messiah were also prophesied. Have you noticed that? In fact, we're, we're going to look at an example of Matthew actually saying that in, in, in one of the miracles of Jesus. The prophets often spoke of, of how the Messiah was going to give sight to the blind and heal people, heal people of their infirmities. Isaiah was a prophet who predicted that. So, so miracles are also important to Matthew's account. But it's still tied to prophecy because if the Messiah, if Jesus is really the Messiah, he should be able to do miracles because the prophet said he would be able to do that. And so that explains, that likely explains this explosion we find in Matthew 8 through 9, an explosion of miracles. And so let's rehearse the miracles, the 11 miracles that you find in just two chapters. There's two chapters. You got 11 miracles. That is just crazy. So, so let's look at this. Let's start with the first one. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 4. In Matthew 8, 1 through 4, Jesus heals a leper. Now, we've made this point before, but let's make it again. Leprosy. Leprosy was a dreadful, dreadful disease. It was a hideous, flesh-destroying disease. It was very contagious. If you had leprosy, especially in Israel, you were cast out. You could not be around any, any, anyone else. It was that horrible. It was that contagious. It was a hideous, flesh-destroying disease. Lepers were viewed as literally the walking dead. They were the walking dead. Now, even though there was a lot of lepers in Israel and in the world in ancient times, not all lepers were healed. It was very rare for a leper to be cured. See, this was an incurable disease, okay? And it was very rare for a leper to be miraculously healed. Jesus makes this point in, in his preaching. In Luke chapter 4, verses 26 through 27, when Jesus was preaching in Nazareth, he said something that made his Jewish audience in the synagogue very upset. He talked about blessings on Gentiles. If you want to make Jews upset in ancient times, just talk about blessings coming on Gentiles. Jesus made a point that in the time of Elisha, the prophet Elisha, there were a lot of lepers in Israel, but only one was healed. And who was that one that was healed? Naming the what? The Syrian. <laughs> Naming the Syrian. He was the only one that was healed. 
before he makes that point, he also mentioned the time of Elijah where there was a, a widow of Zerpha. She was a, a, a Gentile, and she was blessed in a time of famine. Jesus, in that context, is talking about blessings on Gentiles, and that's why the Jews took him out and wanted to throw him off a cliff. They didn't like that. But Jesus makes the point that not all lepers were cleansed, and there was a time when only a Gentile leper was cleansed, and that was named in the Syrian. Now, this leper comes to Jesus with great faith and humility. You notice that in the text when this leper comes to Jesus, the Bible says he bows before Jesus. He bows before him. He calls Jesus Lord. He acknowledges him as the Lord. He, he says to Jesus, if you're willing, cleanse me. He has faith in Jesus. He has faith in Jesus' ability to cleanse him of an incurable disease. And he humbly asks Jesus to heal him. And the Bible makes it clear that Jesus felt compassion for him. Jesus said, I am willing. I am willing to cleanse you. Jesus made a choice to show compassion and mercy to this man. And he cleansed him. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus cleansed this man, it was instant. It was instant. This wasn't some internal healing like these fake healers claim that they touch you and say, okay, you know, your arthritis is gone or, or your diabetes is gone and, and you can't see anything. If somebody had leprosy, you could see it. <laughs> and when Jesus touched this man, the leprosy instantly went away. This could be verified with the eye. He healed this man instantly. And then Jesus told him to not go tell anybody about the miracle. We're going to make, we're going to make a point on this later. He said, don't tell anybody about this, but instead you go show yourself to the priest and you present an offering. This is according to what was found in the law of Moses. So we have Jesus healing a leper on this occasion. And then we come to Matthew 8, 5 through 13, and we have Jesus healing a paralyzed servant. I want you to go in your Bible, please. Keep your place at Matthew 8. But Luke also talks about this in his account. And I just want to make a few points from Luke's account also in Luke chapter 7. Go in your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 7. There's some interesting things to say about what's going on here. This, this servant was the servant of a centurion. The centurion is a Gentile. This is a Roman centurion. Remember, Cornelius was a Roman centurion, right? These are Gentiles. And this centurion was stationed in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is one of the most important cities in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus actually lived as an adult in Capernaum. He had a residence in Capernaum. Capernaum is often called Jesus' hometown. Now, we know he was raised in, in Nazareth, but he took up residence in, in Capernaum. Now, this centurion, he cared deeply for this servant. He, he, he cared so much that he sent people to Jesus to beg Jesus to, to, to heal this man. This centurion was respected by the Jews, and that's rare. That was something that was very rare in these times for Romans to, be, to have Jews that respected them. But look at what the Bible says in Luke chapter 7 and in verse number 1. It says in Luke 7 and verse 1, When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him. 
Notice the centurion really re highly regards this servant, was sick, and he's, and he's about to die. He's on his deathbed. When he heard about Jesus, when he heard about this man of miracles, he sent some Jewish elders. Notice he sent the Jewish elders asking him to come and save the man's, save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly, notice that these Jewish elders, they earnestly implored Jesus saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. In other words, he's a good man. The Jews like this man. He's a good man. He's worthy for you to help him. For he loves our nation. That's rare <laughs> to find a, a Roman centurion who loved their nation. He loved our nation. He loves our nation. He built us this synagogue, the synagogue that was in Capernaum. I've seen the ruins of the synagogue, the, the first century synagogue in Capernaum. This was built by this man. He gave authority for it to be built. And in every city, there was one synagogue. He didn't have multiple synagogues in the city. There was one in every city. Now, Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, watch this, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Notice how he, the message was, Lord, Lord, don't, don't trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. That's humility, isn't it? This is a man of authority. This is a Roman centurion. This is a Gentile. And he says, you're not even worthy or I'm not worthy, I'm sorry. I'm not worthy for you, Jesus, to come into my house. I'm not good enough to have someone like you in my house. That's incredible. For this reason, I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And that's the kind of humility that everybody should have towards Jesus. That's true humility. But just say the word. And my servant will be healed. I know you can do this. I believe in you so much. I know you can do this without even coming into my house. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. So there this man is showing. He, so, he shows high respect for Jesus. We just saw that, right? But he also shows how he understands authority. He understands authority because he's a man of authority. He's a centurion. I know what it's like to tell people what to do. Go do this. Go do that. I know what that's all about. When you're in the military, you understand authority, don't you? This man is still authority. And he's making that point to let Jesus know that I understand your authority. I have authority as a man, but I know you have more authority over me. You have authority over sickness and disease. You have authority that, a, that an ordinary man doesn't have. This man understood authority, and sadly, when it comes to authority, particularly religious authority for a lot of folks, they don't have that today, do they? I don't really have respect for religious authority. This man did. Gentile. And a Gentile at that, yes, sir. So when this man heard this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. This is one of the few times in the Bible when you find Jesus marveling. It's, it's maybe one of two or three times. It's not often. Jesus marveled. He's astonished at him. And he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, and this goes to what you said, Gary, not even in Israel, that is among the Jews, have I found such great faith. 
The Jewish people don't have this kind of faith, and they should have this kind of faith because they're God's people. I don't find this kind of faith even among the Israelites. And when those who had been sent returned to his house, guess what they found? The slave was in good health. <laughs> so this man really impresses Jesus. He impresses him because he didn't just have faith. Jesus said he had great faith. He had a faith that was greater than the children of God. Jesus healed this man's servant without even going to his house. We see here that Jesus' power was not restricted by location. He did this from afar. You see that? So that's Matthew 8, 5 through 13. We then get to Peter's mother-in-law. The Bible says there's a, there was an occasion in Matthew going after this, Matthew 8, 14 through 15. We're just moving through the chapter. When Peter's mother-in-law was very sick, here we see that Peter was a married man. He's a married man. And his mother-in-law is very sick. And this miracle is, is, is kind of unique because it's not done really like in a public, public way in the sense where you've got like hundreds of people that are witnessing it. This is done in, in the confinement of a home. Okay, and this is also in Capernaum, by the way. Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever. This was a fever that was about to kill her, all right? And when you read Mark's account, because Mark talks about this, Mark's account lets us know that the people, were, they were imploring Jesus to help this woman. They were begging him to do something about this. And Jesus granted the request. Jesus touched her, and the Bible says, and, and you know Mark does this a lot in his account, doesn't he? Mark uses that word immediately a lot, doesn't he? Mark, immediate, Mark tells us Jesus immediately got her up. And not only did she get up, but she was able to wait on them. That's important. Have you ever been sick with a fever before, really, really sick? Did you, when you got over that, did you feel like getting up and waiting on people? When you get over a, a, having a fever, a, a terrible fever? I don't know about you, but when I get over a sickness, it takes me a few days to get my strength back. Is that, is that right with you too? Take you a few days to get your strength back. You, you're not ready to go and, and, and do things and cook and, and clean and wait on other people. I mean, you, you may feel better, but you're still not right where you need to be yet. You may be about 50%. This woman gets up and she waits on people. That means she's full strength now. Jesus healed her fully from this high fever. That's, that's important to note. And then we come to the demon-possessed. As Jesus' popularity grows, and it's growing, I mean, Gentiles are finding out about it. We, we saw that. As his popularity grows, so did the number, so did the number of demon-possessed and ill who were being brought to him. Now, demons in the New Testament, are they go by different names. Sometimes they're called demons. Sometimes they're called unclean spirits. Now, we have no mention of them possessing people in the Old Testament. You don't find demon possession in the Old Testament. You don't find any kind of demon possession. When we say demon possession, we mean workers of Satan, demonics, demons, evil spirits, getting inside of people and taking over, the, taking over their vessels. They control the people, okay? That doesn't come up until the time of Jesus. Jesus deals with demon possession. The apostles deal with it. And I believe the reason why you find this going on in the time of Jesus was it was necessary for Jesus to demonstrate power over Satan. 
And casting demons out of people certainly demonstrated that. You don't find that prior to Jesus and the apostles. You don't find it after Jesus and the apostles. There are a lot of people being possessed with demons in the time of Jesus. These demons knew who Jesus was. Have you noticed that? They identify him. They call him the son of God. They acknowledge Jesus. And they were being cast out at his command. He was demonstrating power over the demonics. Power over Satan. We then go to Matthew 8, 18 through 27, and Jesus calms a storm. This storm took place on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a little body of water in, in, uh, in Israel. And if you notice, it is located in many of the places where Jesus preached. There's Chorazin. Jesus preached in Chorazin, Bethsaida. Jesus multiplied the fish and the bread in Bethsaida. Uh, you have Magdala. So often people think Mary Magdalene, her last name was Magdalene. No, she's called Mary Magdalene because she was from Magdala. So there's Magdala. Jesus, there was a synagogue in Magdala. Jesus preached in all of the synagogues that were in, that were in Israel or in Galilee. But this body of water here is important because Jesus does about 70% of his ministry around this little body of water here. And there was a storm that popped up on this sea on, a, on, a, on an occasion. And that was something that was common. Even to this day, it is common for storms to come out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. I actually was able to take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. I, I was able to go to Bethsaida in Chorazin and see these places that, that the Bible says Jesus actually preached in. And when the, when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, a storm pops up out of nowhere, and this was a bad storm. I mean, this was a bad storm. The Bible says that the waves were tossing and turning the boats. There was water getting in the boat. That's the last thing you want when you in a boat is water to be getting into it. That's, ne that's never a good sign. You got water getting in the boat. And, and, and it's just a bad situation. It was so bad that the apostles thought they were going to die. They said, we're perishing. Keep in mind that these, are, these aren't amateurs. These are experienced fishermen. They do this for a living. They do this every day. And they think they're going to die. This is a bad storm. And they go to, go to Jesus about it. They say, Jesus, help us. What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. He was sleeping on the pillow, the Bible says, on the cushion. He was asleep. And they were worried, which as a side note, they shouldn't have been, because anytime you got Jesus in your boat, it's going to be okay. They got Jesus in the boat. You ain't nothing to worry about. So they go to Jesus and say, save us. Do you not even care what's going on, Jesus? We're dying. We're going to die. Well, Jesus gets up. And he says three words. What are those words? Peace be still. And what did the storm do? Went away. It went away. And then Jesus expressed disappointment in them because they lacked faith. He said, oh, you a little faith. You've seen me do all this stuff, and you still don't know about my power? They shouldn't have been worried about anything. They had Jesus in the boat, literally. He was disappointed. He rebuked the winds and the sea, and it calmed. And then we keep going. You see all these miracles? I mean, they're all over the place. Jesus cast demons out of two men. Now, this is an interesting one here. This is an interesting one. Because when you read Matthew's account, when you read Matthew's account, it's two men. 
Because when they were on the boat ride, they were actually making their way to the land of the Gadarenes. That was across the Sea of Galilee. I was, I've seen the land of the Gadarenes. You know, I'm on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and this right here is the land of the Gadarenes. Okay? This is Gentile territory in the time of Jesus. That's why you've got pigs being raised there. It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been Gentile territory, but it was. So they're going to the, to the land of the Gadarenes. Now, Matthew talks about two guys, but when you read Mark's account, Mark focuses on just one guy. That's important. There's no contradiction there. Matthew never says, or Mark never says there was only one guy there. He just focuses on one, probably the most violent of the two. And, and Matthew gives you additional information. He lets you know there were two guys. It wasn't just one. And these two guys they run into when they get off the boat are some crazy guys. These guys are described as just bad men. They're living in the cemetery. Who lives in the cemetery? They're living among the tombs. They can't be bound. You can't even bind these guys in chains. They're screaming all day long. They're cutting themselves, cutting their, their skin, cutting their flesh, and the scripture says nobody could pass through there. You didn't want to pass through there where these guys were. If you wanted to, you had a, a dead relative in that cemetery, you just won't be going to visit them because if you do, you're going to have to deal with these guys. These guys have demons in them, and they got a lot of demons in them. They have legion in them. What does legion mean? Many. You got a lot of demons in them. And that's why these guys can't be bound. They can't be bound in chains. And so they're violent, they're dangerous. The demons identify Jesus as the son of God. They say, we know who you are, you're the son of God. And they're scared of Jesus, they're scared of him. They beg Jesus, don't cast us into the abyss. Put us in these pigs over here. Put us in the swine. They beg Jesus to put them in pigs. So Jesus does that. He, he takes the, the demons in these two men, he puts them in the pigs, and remember what the pigs did? What did the pigs do? They go into the sea and kill themselves. They commit suicide. And the people, when they see what happened, they, they ask Jesus, get out of here quick. We don't want you here anymore. And the main reason why is because he's getting in the way of their money. That's a lot of money that went in the water. That's a lot of money. And he's messing things up. They rather had kept those two guys in the cemetery than lose all those, those pigs that went in the water. And so they ask Jesus to leave. And Jesus leaves. We have no evidence he ever goes back there again. Then there's a paralytic. You remember this story. Jesus, his popularity is continuing to grow. This is Matthew 9. He's preaching in Capernaum. And the house is packed. People on top of each other. And it's so packed that these friends have a, 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 have, they have a friend that's paralyzed. And they know Jesus can heal him. And they can't get him in through the front door. Because the room is too packed. Everybody wants to see Jesus and hear Jesus. So you, what do they do? They take the roof off the house. <laughs> they take the roof off of the house. And they lower the guy in through the roof. That's how determined they were to get to Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if people were that determined today to get to Jesus? That they'll do anything to get to him? A lot of people don't want Jesus today. These men wanted Jesus. They wanted to get their friend to Jesus. They lower him in through the roof. These friends demonstrate that much faith. And the scribes are upset 
about something. Because Jesus does something before he heals this man. What are the scribes upset about? He forgives this man of his sins first. Before taking care of his physical sickness, Jesus first took care of his spiritual sickness. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, why did the scribes get mad about that? Or the biggest claim that he's making, yes, that he's deity. They don't like that he's claiming to be deity because only God can do what? Forgive sins. Yes, through the priest. That's right. At this time, through the priest. So Jesus, is he's doing it himself. And they didn't like that. So Jesus, to demonstrate that he had the authority to forgive sins, does what? He heals the man. He says, get up and walk. Take up your pallet and go. And the man does it. Jesus, on this occasion, heals this man to demonstrate that he had the authority to do the first thing that he did, which was heal him spiritually. He heals him physically to demonstrate he has the authority to heal him spiritually. And so he shuts these guys up as a result of that. We then go to Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter. After having a conversation with John's disciples about fasting, and that's in the preceding verses, a synagogue official, this is another synagogue official, a man named Jairus, he comes to Jesus. He wants Jesus to heal his daughter. His daughter's 12 years old. She's sick to the point of death. She's dying. She's dying on this occasion. And he goes to Jesus and says, I know that if you came into contact with her, she would be healed. This man says, I know it would happen. I know it. So Jesus goes back with him to his house. He goes back with him to his house. And by the time they get to this guy's house, the little girl's dead. They even, the messengers even come to Jairus and they say, don't bother Jesus anymore. There's no point in him coming. She's dead. It's too late. There's nothing that can be done now. So Jesus says, she's not dead. She's just what? She's just sleep. That's a synonym for death. But they thought he meant sleep, sleep. And they laughed at him. Everybody laughed at Jesus. So Jesus goes in the house, and he brings three of his disciples. Which three was it? Peter, James, and John, the three that's usually in his, in his inner circle. They go in. Jesus says, get everybody out the house. He says, a few words, little girl, arise. And she gets up. This is the first time Jesus raises somebody from the dead. A 12-year-old girl, he says, get her something to eat. So now Jesus is not just calming storms. He's not just casting demons out of people. He's not just giving paralyzed people the ability to walk. Now he's raising the dead. He's raising dead people now. But before he got there, he got distracted by someone else who wanted some help. He did something before he even got there. He's on his way to Jairus' house, and he's got this big entourage of people with him, and he feels something. He's, some power comes, comes out of him. There was a woman. A woman who had been suffering with some kind of hemorrhage for 12 years. She had been paying the doctors all kind of money, and she was only getting worse. You ever been in that situation before where you're paying doctors all kinds of money, and you got a sickness, and you're just getting worse, you're not getting better? The only thing different is your bank account's getting lower. You ever had that happen before? That's what's going on with this woman. She's paying doctors all kind of money. They can't help her. She's had this for 12 years. 
And she says, if I can just touch the cloak of his garment, I'll get, I'll get better. And so Jesus walked into Jairus' house to, to help his daughter, and he feels power go out of him. And he says, you know, where did this come from? And the apostles say, what are you, what are you asking us this for? You got all these people here. Well, Jesus is doing it because he, he wants to get this woman to talk. And she says, it was me. And Jesus says, it was your faith that made you well. You go now. This woman has so much faith, she said, if I can just touch him, I'll get better. And that's exactly what happened. Twelve years of paying doctors. She wasn't better. She touches Jesus, his clothes, and she gets better. And then two more. Jesus heals two blind men. Matthew 9, 27 through 31. There Matthew says that's a fulfillment of prophecy. He's giving sight to the blind now. Now he's giving sight to people who had never been able to see before. And then he continues to heal the demon-possessed. There's a lot of that going on. So that's 11. Do you see that? This is an explosion. This is an explosion of miracles. In fact, look at verse 34, Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus, and I'll say these last words here and open it up to you. When Jesus healed these demon-possessed people, the Pharisees were saying in verse 34, he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. So notice the first part. He cast out demons. He does this. He does this. But he's doing it by the ruler of the demons. See, nothing Jesus did was going to convince these guys. And that's how some people are today. No matter what you do to convince them of the truth, if people are determined to reject it, guess what they'll do? They'll reject it. They'll reject it. They'll reject simple passages about baptism, simple passages about the Lord's church, simple passages about worship, simple passages about morality, simple passages about marriage that wasn't remarriage. They'll, they'll reject all those passages because they want to be blind. They don't want the truth. And that's how these guys were. They didn't want the truth. They admit Jesus is doing supernatural stuff, but they still won't believe because he's not who they want. They don't want to submit to him. So let's stop right there. Uh, is there, I want to see if anybody has anything you want to say about these 11 miracles. I'll open it up to you now. Uh, anybody with, yes, sir, Brother Greg. I'm going to get you this time. I always say I'm going to call you never do, so make sure I get you this time. <laughs> Yes, sir. Jesus uh, talks about the Baker Centurion. Matthew goes on and adds his commentary where he says that many will come from the east and the west to the point of the Gentiles, and they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the table. Right. And he says, but many sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. Yep. When Jesus does the miracle for the, the man, the paralytic, and they question his power, Jesus says, which is easier to do?
Well, he did something similar, Brother Greg, in John 9, after healing that blind man. We'll, we're going to study that at some point. And Jesus said the reason why these Pharisees who were rejecting him because he healed this blind man, he says the reason why they're going to be lost is because they say they see when they really don't. He says had they become blind, they would see. In other words, had they humbled themselves and realized they, their need for Jesus to see spiritually, then they would see. But he says because you say you see, you'll stay blind. So, there's, so Jesus, like you say, he does that constantly. He always sticks the knife in. Uh, he's never ashamed to do that when people are openly rejecting him. That's a great point. Uh, in, Brother, Brother Gary, yes, sir. I see these explosions of miracles. It's uh, kind of a follow-up to the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of that, the people were amazed at his teaching as one who has authority. And he goes out and starts proving it. And then when he forgives the sins yes. for the miracles, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing I want to say here before we close is I want you to take notice. Just, just give me one minute real quick of faith. We're looking a lot at faith here, right? Now, a lot of people are being blessed because of their faith, right? I mean, we look at all these, parable, uh, these, these miracles. Let me just throw this out real quick, and I'm going to let you go, okay? That leper, the leper in Matthew 8 and 2, Jesus rewarded him because of his faith, didn't he? The centurion who had the sick slave, he rewarded him because of his faith. The friends of the paralytic, the friends of the paralytic are rewarded because of faith. Jairus, the sick woman who had that 12-year issue, the blind men in Matthew 9, 27 through 28, all these people, Jesus said, I'm rewarding you because of your faith. I'm going to bless you because you have faith in me. But there are some other times where faith is not really in it at all. And let me just show you what I mean. Peter's mother-in-law. We have no indication that she is saying anything to Jesus before she's healed. The text doesn't say that. The paralyzed man, now we know his friends have faith, but what about him? We don't have any dialogue from this guy. The demon-possessed men, they got demons in them. They're cutting themselves. They never say, Jesus, we know you can heal us. They're violent, but Jesus still takes the demons out of them. The miracle at the, on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus rebukes the disciples for having a lack of faith, but he still does the miracle. Jairus' daughter, well, she's dead. and have faith and you're dead. And then remember the feeding of the 5,000? The feeding of the 5,000. Jesus multiplied fish and bread even though there was a lack of faith all over the place. The apostles said, how are we going to feed all these people? We don't have enough money to feed these people, and Jesus still does it. He still does. So here's the thing I just want you to notice. As you study the miracles of Jesus, just notice how interesting it is how sometimes people's faith is directly tied to what's going on, and sometimes Jesus just does it anyway. He does it because it is critical that he verify who he is. And, and, and that's all the point I want to make there. Think about this for next time. Just think about this, and we'll talk about this maybe next time. We'll talk about it at some point, if not next time. Why is Jesus, and don't y'all mob me after I ask y'all this. I know y'all going to mob me after this. Why does Jesus tell some people to be quiet about the miracles in some cases, and in other cases, say, go tell everybody? Just think about that. Sometimes he's telling people, don't say anything. We saw that, didn't we? And sometimes he said, go tell everybody. Why some cases go, and some, in some cases don't go? That's something to think about. Study that. We'll talk about it at some point, okay?
Thank y'all very much. I appreciate it.